Welcome everybody to your daily dose of video game news at Pixels and Pines for Monday, April 24th, 2023. Let's get into it. First off, Tears of the Kingdom previews are dropping on Wednesday, April 26th. A post on Reddit this morning lit up the internet as it was revealed that previews for Tears of the Kingdom will be released on Wednesday, April 26th at 3 p.m. Central European time. The short post on the Tears of the Kingdom subreddit read, a group of Italian journalists and content creators that are huge fans of Zelda went to Frankfurt where the headquarters of Nintendo Europe is. When groups of people go to Frankfurt, it means big stuff, and Francesco Facetti, a well-known Italian journalist, just said that on Wednesday at 3 p.m. CET, there will be something big about the most awaited game of May. And we all know what that is. So apparently this is dropping at 3 p.m. in Europe, it's unclear if there are any American journalists that were invited to similar events, maybe in Seattle for North America. You know, uh, this information should be dropping around 6 a.m. Pacific time, 9 a.m. Eastern, if you are on the North American side of things. So what to expect? Well, honestly, maybe some new screenshots, maybe some video. Of course, this is all going to be pre-approved by Nintendo. There's nobody going to be out of pocket who went to that gathering. Introduction sequence maybe could be revealed, you know, maybe similar to the Great Plateau of Breath of the Wild. Maybe we could get some potential story info for the first couple of hours of the game. Who knows? But what not to expect, though? There's not going to be any real substantial information concerning Tears of the Kingdom. Nintendo is the one controlling the narrative here, and all of the outlets that went to this uh, event are going to have, have signed NDAs, so any concrete in information regarding the gameplay story and setting are going to be pre-approved by Nintendo. But honestly, it doesn't matter though. The game is releasing in about three weeks, and at this point, I don't think Nintendo cares to give us much more information than we've already gotten. Everything that we need to know was revealed during the original Breath of the Wild game. Nintendo's 10-minute preview that detailed Link's new powers we did get a final trailer that gave us some insight into returning characters and a quick peek at some of the story beats. There is no context, but, you know, it's enough. Don't expect a whole bunch of information out of this preview. Ship of Harkinian, the software behind the Ocarina of Time PC port, has a direct on April 27th. I love that everybody's using directs these days. As we mentioned last week, the US version of Paper Mario for the Nintendo 64 has been fully decompiled, leading the way for a PC port in the near future. In a similar vein, Ship of Harkinian has been going strong in the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time community. The folks behind the Ocarina of Time decompilation project has also been hard at work at Majora's Mask, which is, at the time, about 75% complete. No information has been given exactly on what to expect in this direct, other than it's going to be a big update. So it's really hard to tell what's going to be a part of this direct. As I said, Majora's decompilation is supposedly still stalled at 75%, but it could be an amazing announcement to drop that this project has been completed. Now, that also doesn't mean that it would be immediately available to use on PC using software like Ship of Harkinian. You know, there's still going to be a large cleanup and optimization pass on the code in order for it to be usable. I mean, maybe there could be some additional features added. I have heard rumblings of maybe multiplayer, you know, but uh, people seem to think that the reverse engineering aspect of this project will save the devs from any repercussions from Nintendo, and ultimately that's up for the folks at Ship, at Har Ship of Harkinian and their lawyers to ultimately judge on that. And why do I say lawyers? Well, uh, last week we talked about Nintendo uh, striking a YouTuber's uh, channel 
multiple times, I believe he had two strikes, and basically claiming a good chunk of his content. And uh, there's a strong possibility that he could still be sued by Nintendo for all of this. So in a recent video essay by a uh, person named Mooney, he is a lawyer and YouTuber, he addressed the situation surrounding Point Crow, a popular Twitch streamer and YouTuber who was hit with copyright strikes from Nintendo after creating mods for The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So Mooney broke it down for us. Uh, Point, Point Crow made a statement, which he argued that his mods are not being sold and are free of Nintendo assets, and discusses fair use and the legal implications of modding in the video game industry. Mooney highlighted, however, about the dangers of modding and how it is almost always considered copyright infringement, citing the MicroStar versus FormGen case. And in that case, basically what happened was that MicroStar, not Microsoft, MicroStar, downloaded all of these fan levels for Duke 3D and distributed them commercially on a CD. And they were sued by FormGen, who owned Duke 3D. And the result of the lawsuit is essentially that it was considered a derivative work and MicroStar was found liable. Additionally, Mooney discussed that the potential risks associated with multiplayer mods, which can have unintended hardware interactions, security issues, and intellectual property concerns. Mooney concluded that companies like Nintendo are fiercely protective of their inter intellectual property for good reason and will enforce their rights every time, especially when dealing with mods that could have significant consequences. Whether or not you believe it or not, as long as Nintendo believes it and sues to fight it, that's all that matters. Point Crow also read a lawyer-approved statement regarding Nintendo's policies and licenses for content creators. Point Crow cited two different documents, the Nintendo Game Content Guidelines for online video and image sharing platforms, and the Nintendo Switch Support and User License Agreement. The first document outlined basic rules for using gameplay, footage, screenshots, including rules concerning monetization and content restrictions, but ultimately, it is up to Nintendo to decide what those guidelines mean. The second document, the EULA, grants users permission to play the Nintendo Switch under specific terms, but Nintendo reserves the right to withdraw the license at any time and restrict the use of software for commercial purposes. Now, Mooney emphasized that content creators are always at risk of copyright infringement because fair use is much more limited than you think. The guidelines provided by companies like Nintendo are not license agreements or formal contracts, but rather industry standards that companies offer to content creators. While they provide some leeway, this can be withdrawn at any time if the content creator causes trouble. Mooney warned that content creators should always be in mind that they are at the mercy of IP holders like Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft. Now, Mooney claims that Point Crow's statement is most likely a defensive play, but it is still possible that Nintendo may sue. Mooney also stressed that if content creators use another's intellectual property for their livelihood, they do so at their own peril, and are always subject to the IP holders' interpretation and enforcement. Bottom line is, the law encourages IP holders to behave this way, and it's up to the content creators to be aware of the risk they take when utilizing another's intellectual property. Again, this is not the first time Nintendo has done this. Nintendo won a lawsuit against Atari in the 80s regarding circumventing the NES lockout chip through unauthorized access of the lockout code. We've heard that reverse engineering a so-called clean room implementation is supposed to be, I guess you could say, seen as more legitimate than the decompilation projects we've seen thus far, because they're definitely not clean room implementations. 
And I don't really think we've had the waters tested on this yet, but with Nintendo's current might, they are a larger company than they were in the 80s. I think all it takes is one project to explode on the internet before we ultimately find out just how little rights we have as consumers. So, good luck to the ship of Harkinian folks, and I hope Nintendo does not realize what's going on over there, especially if Majora's Mask. That's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Next up, we have a potential Armored Core 6 release date. According to sources within the game industry, Armored Core 6 is set to release on August 25th, 2023. This news follows last week's revelation by Gamatsu that the game had been officially rated in Korea. Although ratings don't necessarily mean a game won't be delayed, uh, fans were relieved to hear the news. While there have been rumors that Armored Core 6 would be showcased at Summer Game Fest on June 8th, Sources suggest that an official announcement may be forthcoming, although it hasn't been confirmed. From Software President Hidetaki Miyazaki first mentioned the development of a new Armored Core game on September 2016. The game was officially rele- revealed excuse me, at the Game Awards in December 2022, following a leak in January of that year. Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon is in development for multiple platforms, including PlayStation 4, 5, Windows, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S. Fans of the franchise are eagerly anticipating the release of Armored Core 6 and can mark their calendars for August 25th, pending any potential delays. Oh, and this is a big one. Apple has won the appeal versus Epic Games. Apple has won a significant legal victory after the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld its App Store policies in an antitrust challenge brought by Epic Games. The ruling today affirmed a lower court judge's 2021 decision that rejected most of the claims by Epic that Apple's online marketplace violated federal law because they banned third-party marketplaces on its operating system. The appeals panel did uphold the judge's ruling in Epic's favor on California state law claims, however. Epic, the maker of Fortnite, brought the lawsuit against Apple in 2020 after Apple expelled the Fortnite game from the App Store because Epic created a workaround to paying a 30% fee on customers' in-app purchases. In a statement, Apple hailed the decision as a resounding victory, saying that 9 out of the 10 claims were decided in its favor. The App Store continues to promote competition, drive innovation, and expand opportunity, and we're proud of its profound contributions to both users and developers around the world, the company said. However, Apple respectfully disagreed with the court's ruling on the one remaining claim under state law and is considering further review. Epic has not yet commented on the ruling. The appeals court said that the lower court erred in defining the appropriate antitrust market but concluded that was harmless and Epic failed to show its proposed market definition and the existence of any substantially less restrictive alternative means for Apple to accomplish the pro-competitive justification supporting iOS's walled garden ecosystem. One appeals court judge dissented from the part of that ruling, saying that the case should go back to lower court to reanalyze it using the relevant market. The panel said it agreed with the finding of the lower court judge that Epic was injured under California's competition laws due to Apple's previous policy that stopped app developers from steering users to outside payment methods. It directed the lower court judge to revisit a ruling that Epic didn't know Apple fees it paid attorneys. The ruling comes as Apple has been making changes to the way the App Store operates to address developer concerns since Epic sued the company in 2020. One of those changes was to allow developers to steer consumers to make payments for subscriptions outside of Apple's own payment system. 
Epic software, including hit game Fortnite, still remains off of the App Store and Apple devices, but Epic Games CEO Tim Sweeney has hinted at the return of the platform in 2023. U.S. and European authorities have taken steps to rein in Apple's stronghold over the mobile market, and Apple is planning to allow outside apps as early as next year as part of the update to the upcoming iOS 17 software update in response to the Digital Markets Act, a new series of laws in the European Union. Woo! That's a big one, right? Well, it's it's technically a big win for Apple in North America, at least. I think even if Epic had prevailed, I don't believe that the sideloading solution would have been acceptable to Epic either way. And here's why. Let's not forget that Fortnite is still not available through official means on the Google Play Store, right? For the exact same reason. This has nothing to do with sideloading, although that's basically what the outcome has been. This has everything to do with sidestepping their 30% cut. Epic had already complained about the draconian warning messages when it comes to users attempting to sideload the Fortnite app on Android devices. That's why Epic was adamant to make it a native experience inside of the respective app stores. Epic knows that regardless of sideloading, the platform holders of Apple and Google will make it a painful and scary, in quotations, process that will cause users to avoid it. Apple introduced a new developer mode a few iOS versions ago that I believe is kind of a precursor to the EU law that should make sideloading in iOS 17 a reality. Apple's methods require multiple reboots and accepting of scary messages. While more tech-savvy users may benefit from this, this will mostly not satisfy companies like Epic who want to essentially capture the massive Apple Store and Google Play Store audiences that already exist. Driving users to a website to download an app learning how to install and run the app based on your device, and then using that to skirt the 30% App Store cut will probably earn a negligible return on investment. I mean, I am a mobile developer, and because of this lawsuit, Apple basically fast-tracked their small business platform, which essentially uh, lowers the 30% cut to 15% as long as your revenue within the year is less than a million dollars. And I'm going to be honest, for a good majority of developers, this is about as good as it gets. The only people that are complaining are going to be the, the kings who with the Candy Crushes and Epic with their Fortnites. Most other people, a good majority of the developers, they're not going to care. 15% is lower than 30. They don't want to manage a subscription or a payment base outside of Apple's walled garden then they're going to have to, you know, use more SDKs, do more, use more software in order to help manage both the users that you have inside of the iOS native app and users that go to your browser and subscribe there. It's just more work for everybody. Of course, that has also brought about new services that are planning to manage both of those systems. So that way you, you know, use a third party in order for basically all of that to take place and kind of removing Apple from the process, although you're still going to be paying the same Apple fee, you're just going to be paying another company another fee in order to help you manage those users. Kind of crazy. And then finally, we have Twitter user Kepi Plays, I think that's how you pronounce the name, who appears to have Star Wars Jedi Survivor already. I'm just going to be real quick with this because I don't want to give out too much uh, as far as what the game is about. There was more information along with this, but just know that Jedi Survivor, the story is about 24, 25 hours long, excuse me, 
There is a new game plus that launches on release. This new game plus unlocks a red saber and a party saber. According to this user, it's 60 FPS, 1440p on Series X and PlayStation 5, and they are not sure about Series S. If you want to know more, Twitter user Kebby Plays, K-E-B-B-Y-P-L-A-Y-S, is actually on Twitter right now taking taking uh, requests to post uh, video snippets uh, about whatever you're curious about. So if you're not the kind of person who is scared about spoilers or anything like that, get on Twitter, go find Kebby Plays, find everything that he's posted today, and you'll know more about Jedi Survivor than you probably ever wanted to know. All right, and that's going to do it for today's video game news for Monday, April 24th, 2023. If you like content of the visual variety, don't forget to see us on youtube.com forward slash at pixels and pints. Have a great day, everybody, and I'll see you tomorrow for another episode of Daily Game News.